0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sounds Japanese-Canadian to Me, Stories from the Stage. My name is Kunji Ikeda, and I am delighted to be with you to host these conversations, these thoughts, uh, these sharings with artists across Canada. In today's episode, I am so excited to welcome Jun Fukumura, and perhaps a special guest as we speak through June's artistic practice. But if you're ready, please find your seats and join me now in welcoming our artist to the stage. If you're ready, let's all take a deep breath and welcome June Fukumura,
1: lights up. My name is June Fukumura and these are the stories from the stage. So we're dropped into the middle of Tokyo. It's evening. And you can see the neon lights all around you and the hum and the buzz of the people, all the ads that you see coming blaring from these massive TV screens, these huge visual gallery full of just lights, sounds, people, noise, traffic, the smell of different kinds of food, and we're walking through the middle of Shibuya. I've dropped us into the Shibuya Crossing uh, because this was the first place where I, I worked when I was there in Japan. I was there for a whole year. It's a place that's really near and dear to me. I think Shibuya Crossing in itself is a theatrical performance. You can see everything from street performers to just the people bustling around. Um, And we're observing just the sights and sounds and we're taking it all in. So I want you to join me in just walking down the street with me, going down the little alleys around that area. And we're observing the people who are speaking and there are cars that are coming by And we turn a corner and it's a little alley and there's red lanterns. It's a small little alley that doesn't have a whole lot going on, so you think. We walk down, it's a tiny izakaya. We go in and there's a little counter. Maybe it's a room for five. And we sit down and we grab ourselves a nice nama, nama, nama beer. So nama beer, uh, which is Japanese for a beer in a pint. We Sit down, the lights are dim. The noise of the neon is behind us now and it's an intimate space. And the contradiction between the neon and this tradition and the intimate and the vastness is where I'd like you to join me today.
0: Wow, June. I've never I've never been somewhere so busy.
1: <laughs> it's pretty amazing.
0: I mean, I feel it. Thank you thank you for the the tour guiding. <laughs> 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 Unwrap a little bit that that contradiction between a place so busy and a place so still and intimate and, and what that offers this conversation.
1: Yeah, um, so my name is June Fukumura. I'm a multi-discipline theater artist based in Vancouver, BC. Um, I am a second generation Japanese Canadian born and raised here in Vancouver. My parents are from Japan, uh, from Shizuoka and Kyoto, but they immigrated here in the 80s. So uh, I am very much Nikkei in that I have deep roots and ties to traditional Japanese culture and heritage and language and traditions and customs but I also because I grew up here I have this sort of mishmash of Canadian perspectives I think Japan to me in that kind of exploration of Shibuya really represents my desire to be from there but also this sort of foreignness the kind of othered feeling that I get when I'm visiting, because I do still feel like a foreigner, but I also feel incredibly tied and incredibly um, rooted in some of those customs and cultures and traditions. And yeah, I think that's how I navigate my identity as a Nikkei person.
0: Lovely. Uh, Can you tell me a bit about what the process is like as you land in Japan and and Feel as you say this tie to the culture to the people. Is there a process of Japanese people discovering that you are that you're Nike, that you're Japanese Canadian?
1: It's funny that you say that because most of the time uh, people don't know that I'm from Canada, um, <laughs> which poses both really great things because I can really um, sort of slip into the Japanese culture pretty easily. I look and sound very Japanese. Um, like,
0: like you don't have an accent or anything? There's
1: No, my parents Ugh. were really smart. And, uh, you know, back in the day, I was really resentful of the fact that I had to go to Japanese school and didn't understand why. And <laughs> it seemed unfair that I'd be going to school twice. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, lo and behold, they were right. And, <laughs> you know, many years later, I have this language. That I'm fluent in and for me that's a huge pathway and kind of gateway into my identity as well as my family ties um yeah which is why I've been able to go back and forth between uh, Canada and Japan and even work there so that's been a real privilege.
0: Wow very cool and how those perspectives as you say, mishmash, do you have like a a part of your brain that is active, whether it's like the Canadian part when you're in Japan or the Japanese part as you're in Canada that that filters things in a specific way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when I'm there, when I'm in Japan, I feel my Canadian energy come through (laughs) way more than when I'm here. When I'm in Canada, (laughs) of course, I feel like feel very identified with my japanese heritage so i think this is you know uh maybe experience that a lot of people various diaspora feel
2: because mm-hmm. they
1: feel when they're in this other country they feel this other part of themselves getting drawn out or they just notice it more wow um, yeah. yeah i certainly feel that way
0: what is how does your canadianness manifest when you're in japan
1: I think that I talk with my hands. I'm quite animated. And so people recognize, even though they don't recognize, uh, you know, an accent or anything like that, but they just see my mannerisms and they're like, "Mm, I don't think you're from here. I think you've got a different energy going on. Um, So that gives it away.
0: Ah, But that could also be your your artistic background, perhaps. And and how does that interplay now the the idea of what does your artistic background then add to that whole conversation
1: yeah i think it's really interesting as i've become more sort of invested in my artistic practice i'm really noticing that so much of my work is influenced by that feeling of either otheredness or assimilation or both in many wow. cases Wow. Yeah, and um, yeah, funny story. When I was, you know, younger, I would go to Japan every summer because my parents were really interested in having me, um, you know, gain the language and have friends there and experience Japanese life. Uh, and so I would go to school every summer at a local elementary school in the middle of um, rural Japan in Shizuoka. And it was great because I had so many friends who were the same age as me, and I did actually feel like I was from there, uh, except for the fact that my nickname was Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives it away. Vancouver. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, so
1: there's always a sense of, you know, feeling like you belong, but also simultaneously that you don't belong. Wow. And um, I've been navigating that space for a very long time. Um, and I think that cognitive dissonance and some of the frustrations and some of the delights of that experience really filter through my art making today.
0: Ah, well, let's get there then. Uh, could you identify three of your greatest delights in filtering this idea of otherness of perspectives what are three delights that come out in your work
1: one big one that influences my work a lot is japanese Oarai. so Oarai is comedy uh, and i don't know if people know this but japanese people are funny <laughs>
2: <laughs> what
1: I know, it's really odd. You'd think that we're just serious and. Yeah, we're all only- business
0: people. That's that right, we're business commute people. Commute all the time, work all the time. That's
1: right. <laughs> in fact, there's a funny bone in us. Ah. <laughs> and for me, growing up, you know, partially in Japan, partially here, yeah, I feel like that is a huge part of my artistic practice in my clown and my comedy. Uh, Oadai is deeply rooted in Japanese uh, everyday life because, yeah, the comedy is underlying so much of the culture and it's so unknown to folks outside of Japan that for me that kind of ridiculous, absurd humour, that kind of outrageousness um, is something I really want to feature.
0: Is there a way you could encapsulate an uh, an instance of ordai versus a c- Canadianism of humor?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. This is a good thesis <laughs> thesis question that I've been trying to understand for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is based on hierarchies, cultural hierarchies that don't exist in North America. So in Japan, it's very much about who is superior to you and who is underneath you or below you in terms of status. And mm-hmm. so I think the culture or the comedy, sorry, is uh, derived from that, is who's above you, who's below you, and how do you fit into that? And so it's it's so uh, nuanced, but it's about you know trying to poke fun at the person who's superior to you while also playing um, the Auguste or the, the one below. So there's this constant, um, what we call in clown, Joey Auguste relationship that is already embedded in the culture itself. So you're always having to navigate status. And in clown, that's where the fodder for all of these um, sort of comedic moments come from.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Joey and a goose is a relationship. It's essentially like who is the who is the serious, high status character, and who is the wack wackadoo?
1: That's right. Yeah. And How they <laughs> you interact? Have your straight man and the fool, Pinky in the Brain. Mm. Yeah. I'm
0: get yeah,
1: exactly. Which are you? I lean towards Joey, mm. my inner trickster is pretty strong, but I, yeah. I'm i also pretty good at, uh, playing a goose.
0: <laughs> mm, very cool. Joey
1: likes to play an a
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> Before we get into the, that was one of your, your greatest joys. Before we get into challenges, let's unwrap clown a little bit more. How did you find clown? And, and when you did how did you recognize this as something that was going to be a a pillar of your performance practice?
1: Yeah. I mean, ever since I was really young, I remember wanting to be sort of the fool in the crowd, attention seeking little child, um, entertaining, you know, the aunties and uncles at family events. Um, There's a, a Japanese almost stock character and a kind of dance called Dojouskui which is um, I guess like a farmer catching an eel. It's this very traditional kind of funny thing that you would do at a party and I remember doing that when I was younger and trying to get a laugh and trying to entertain my family members. So my performance and my clown sort of comes from a deep place of uh, being the only child wanting the spotlight, wanting to make people laugh. (laughs) Mm, Uh, But formally, I went to SFU's theater program and I got a really well-rounded theater experience. And I, you know, primarily in acting, but directing, dramaturgy. uh, And one of the courses that we needed to take was clown. And I had no idea what that was uh, prior to, and I, met uh, my teachers at SFU. Stephen Hill was an influential teacher to me uh, in clown. And then I also met David McMurray Smith, who is another clown teacher in Vancouver. And between those two, um, I really started to become interested in the world of clown. And I've been doing it ever since. That was maybe five years ago, six years ago now.
0: lovely. Was there an element of baby clown?
1: Yes, we did okay. Baby Clown. Baby Clown is um, essentially you're discovering how to play yourself, but you're creating these masks out of clay and you put these masks on and you kind of breathe in the, the character that mm. is already inside of you in a funny way. Yeah. Um, and you're sort of blowing up these characters into sort of a larger than life um, character.
0: For our listeners at home, I feel that clown is probably the one of the practices that is most skewed in people's minds of what it is and what it means. And clown has the potential to be this really in-depth connection, to, as you say, to, to characters within yourself. When you're so in touch with the depths of who you are and, and the possibilities in this world, it, it's a bit unsettling to be next to someone in the same room as someone who sees the world that can be so, I'd use the word mystical. To have someone who sees the world in such a different way, I feel has led towards a lot of people, whether it's the 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 scary clown, the clown that doesn't really sink into our society. The clown has been othered because it is this really difficult and, and human idea of how deep can you go? And it's really lovely to hear about uh, the the basis of your clown going back all the way to your youth and and to be able to go that deep in both memory and in self, uh, I can only imagine really brings different life to to your clown. And I suppose is is that how Sumiko was born?
1: Yeah. So Sumiko is my the name of my clown mask or clown character. She sort of emerged out of the depths of my psyche uh, during one of these baby clown and uh, subsequent David McMurray Smith uh, clown classes. She is, I like to say, my alter ego. She's dark humor. She's super sassy and witty and hyper kawaii, like extremely cute. Um, She's sort of your bubblegum, your popsicle, your cotton candy, all the dripping, sort of like sugar coated everything. But inside of her uh, sugar coating, there's like a dark pill that, you know, she wants people to take. She has this like razor sharpness, but also this like cute fluffiness.
0: I see the idea of Morpheus offering the red pill and the blue pill, but with this like super bubbly exterior.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So she emerged as part of these exercises that we were doing. And at first I was really, you know, when you say terrifying, I was terrified of her. She's this outlandishly kind of stereotypically Japanese, what you might imagine what a stereotypical geisha from a North American white audience perspective might look like. Mm -hmm. And during these exercises, I'm like, please go away. Wow. (laughs) You know, like you're not welcome here. And it was it was a struggle for me to really embrace this character that was emerging out of me. You know, realizing this, I'm like, "Oh, these are all the parts of myself that I've whitewashed out of my psyche as I've grown up here in Canada, but being a second generation Japanese person sort of hiding, you know, all of these experiences and the pop culture that I really love and appreciate about Japanese culture. I never got to share that as i was growing up because i didn't have a lot of japanese canadian friends um, who shared that lived experience with me and it felt shameful it felt shameful to be Mm -hmm. you know japanese it felt very othering it didn't want i didn't want to you know out myself as being someone who deeply enjoys japanese pop culture and j-pop and you know, as a kid, you just want to fit in. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, Sumiko is sort of this energy, this culmination of all the parts of myself that wanted to express my love for Japanese culture and for myself, really, but couldn't for a really long time. And through these explorations, she just emerged and named herself and... (laughs) I couldn't stop her.
0: Wow, what a neat, like, I mean, explosion of these ideas that have wanted to come out. What was it like to eventually welcome Sumiko into the space?
1: It was a few months of really contemplating whether I should make her public or not. It was actually one of these um, sort of studio showings or uh, mini public presentation uh, that we did after class. And I said, okay, okay. Let's create this for a safe audience, for my friends. And I presented a turn called, or uh, a skit called Sumiko in Happy Happy, which is all about her defying death or or embracing death, I should say. And uh, various turn of events. And she defies death because she's so all-knowing and powerful. Um, but she... Yeah, I presented her and was a great success. People were really excited. Um, there were a couple of Japanese Canadian audience members who I was really afraid. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't want to offend all of my Japanese Canadian friends." And they took to it. They were really excited and told me they'd never seen anything quite like Sumiko. And that was the beginning of a major transformation for myself of going, "Okay, maybe I can do this."
0: Wow. Just to clarify for our listeners, no red nose, correct?
1: No red nose. Yeah. So there's a couple of, you know, there's clown is such a vast um, discipline, artistic practice, um, tradition. Clown exists in every culture imaginable. To me, at least, um, you don't need the red nose to represent yourself as a clown. It's, of course, considered the smallest mask Um, that identifies yourself as clown. But in my experience, you aren't necessarily the clown. There is a clown energy that um, reverberates between yourself and the audience. It's sort of a meeting. Clown is kind of like the wind. You can't really touch it. You can't really feel it, but you can sense it in your being. It's like when two friends who've known each other for a really long time have these ridiculous inside jokes it's the sparkle of that Mm -hmm. inside joke and you both know it's funny and you both know why it's funny uh and you share that vocabulary even without having to cognitively think about it Mm -hmm. and so clown to me is more about the energy in between the audience and the performer and the acknowledgement of that um, what david calls the fantastic space Yeah, I I love that. It's so delicious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but absolutely. And it happens live. It happens in the moment. It's ever-evolving. It's ever-shifting. And that, to me, is clown. And the shape that the clown takes varies. You know, it can be red nose. You can have makeup. You can have no makeup. You can be dressed up. You can be dressed down. Um, so, yeah, to me, the essence of clown isn't necessarily um, what you see, the visuals, but about the sensibility of the mm. performer and the audience in the present moment and the laughter or the shared knowing and the shared experience of that moment.
0: There's, there's an idea to me of the, the uber present that, that we are so all hyper-present when when this spirit, when this energy is in the room, this clown energy unlocks or welcomes in. The clown welcomes in this fantastic space, and it's a space that we all can access.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can all access that space. We mm. all have it in us. It's like the twinkle in the eye of the five-year-old kid. Mm. It's the curiosity. It's I mean, as adults, I feel like we start to... I don't know, disassociate with some of those things. But in clown, that is where you want to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Let me read back to you some words that have been shared about Sumiko and then maybe get your reflections on those. Subversive, silly, sexual, philosophical,
1: political. That's a good array of things. That covers it. (laughs) Yeah, she's born of like I say, all the parts of myself that I was disengaged with or felt like I didn't have permission mm. to express.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Throughout my acting career, my theater um, practice, you know, early days, I would say I really pushed away roles that were stereotypical. didn't want to dis- Didn't want to engage with um, roles that highlighted like my Asian-ness or whatever. And, And then I had one teacher at SFU saying, you know, like what happens if you went through the stereotype? What happens if you looked at the world through the eyes of the stereotype, what would you see? And that was a huge revelation because up until then, I'm like, I'm going to avoid that as much as possible. I'm going to strip away everything, <laughs> the monikers of being Asian, of Japanese, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. And she's like, what happens if you did the opposite of that? And I was like, oh my God, sounds terrifying. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> but Sumiko, in some ways, is that exploration
2: mm.
1: of the stereotype. And to me, what has been so rewarding is being able to recognize all the assumptions that I've had about myself and all the assumptions that I've had about my cultural narrative and to take ownership of that, to be empowered by it rather than be oppressed by it. Mm. And so Sumiko is my most delighted self now rather than my most repressed self. She can say, do show you know dance it out she can sing it out she can do all sorts of things that june can't
0: wow (laughs) and to
1: me that's freedom that's like complete and utter freedom and liberation and while she is very cute and adorable she also has a point to make or i have a point to make through her
0: Mm. you you spoke about it being um this permission and and how it shifted and changed you, and when you when you say Sumiko Sumiko's birth has shifted and changed you, do you mean you as an onstage performer, or you as a human navigating this world?
1: Oh, both, very much both. Mm. I would say I've really been able to lean into uh, what Sumiko has offered to me just to be able to laugh at yourself. David's other amazing quote is if you can't laugh you're, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're missing the biggest joke.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: If you can't laugh at yourself, you're missing the biggest joke. I think that is so beautiful and so transformative because again, this idea of being able to look at yourself and have that space to poke fun at yourself is transformational. Mm. You're no longer identified with what you thought was you. <laughs> you can look at yourself and go, oh, that's silly. I want to share that with other people. And there's space to to take the light.
0: Empowered, not oppressed.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. right. And I feel like uh, she's the key for me. Wow
0: tell me a little bit more about what this revelation for you has brought you i'd say both let's start as a performer what has this revelation brought to your artistic work
1: i was afraid that for folks who you know are just seeing it for the first time would take it at face value and that maybe i would doing a disservice to japanese canadians um but You know, I've presented her in various venues in front of various audience members. And so far, everyone has found some human connection to her that deepens their understanding or transforms their understanding of Japanese stereotype, uh, questions their own stereotype about themselves. And, you know, again and again, I've just gotten this feedback where people are like, wow, I've never seen anything quite like Hmm. this. And a lot of my Japanese Canadian um, audience members, especially who are women, tell me like, oh my God, that is awesome. That's great because it gives me an opportunity to see the parody, see the satire, and again, not be trapped Mm. by it.
0: When your family members see Sumiko, can they can they see that same uh, eel dance that you were doing as a kid?
1: Oh my god! You know she's a bit of a secret. My family knows really? very little about her. <laughs> Tell me about that.
0: <laughs> Has that been like a purposeful like we're not ready to meet yet? Or
1: yeah, I feel like she's a little. She's a little out there. She's um, again, like I say would do things that I couldn't do in real life. Uh, not sure that my family is quite ready to see me slash go that way in public. I'm sure one of these days that will happen. I have had uh, family friends who have come to see it and they were like, oh my God, they laugh.
0: <laughs> <It's great. laughs> I bet. Yeah, absolutely. That's so fascinating to me. What happens if one day at a at a family event Sumiko just shows up?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, Sumiko's always around. Oh yeah? Yeah, she's always like in the in the background, you know. She's she likes parties. She's the center of attention, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I would like present her.
0: <laughs> is she is she with us on, uh in the streets and in our in our back alley here?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, she's always around. Hmm. So, was giving you a little a little wink wink nudge nudge.
0: Okay, this might be kind of weird, but but can I talk to Sumiko for a moment?
1: You want to talk to Sumiko? Is that okay? Okay, If I right.
0: feel safe, I'd love to.
1: Hello, my name is Sumiko, and these are the stories from the stage. Thank you. Okay, hello. Hi, uh, Sumiko. Hi, uh, I'm Sumiko. Oh, what's your name?
0: My name's Kunji.
1: Kunji? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks. Sumiko, I'm talking to June. Can Can you tell me a bit about June?
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. She's like so crazy, né? How, why? Ah, like she, she does all these performance. And uh, she lets me come on stage. Oh, like, wow. That's so
0: nice.
1: Yeah, she's really nice. Yeah? And really nice. I like to be on big poster, and I want to be a star. And I she think... helped me become a star. Yeah, I
0: think you are a star. I, I saw some of your performances, and they're so fun. They're so much fun.
1: Uh, thank you. Yeah, I want to make everyone happy.
0: Ah, oh, I think you're doing such a great job. Are you having fun?
1: Yeah, yeah, really, really lots of fun.
0: Mm, What's one of your favorite things to do on stage?
1: Oh, uh, my favorite is um, do you know um Mari Kondo?
2: Y- yes, yes, yeah, yeah, Marie Kondo,
1: yeah, yeah. Mari Kondo is like goddess. You know, <laughs> she is like she's like best Japanese lady. Like she is like top-notch Japanese lady, and I want to be just like her because Japanese ladies should be clean, should be lovely, should be small, should be, oh my God, help me, like this.
0: Mm, I, but yeah. we can't, I don't think we can all be like exactly like Mary Kondo.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's okay. What is? I, that's why I show audience member how to cleaning up their house.
0: Oh, that's so helpful. Like
1: Marie Kondo.
0: Oh, that's so helpful.
1: Yeah, you, you must be uh, a good housewife.
0: Mm. I, I try and be a good housewife.
1: You try to be good housewife? Of course, yes. Oh, yeah, you look like one. Just
0: like Mary Kondo.
1: Oh, you look like Mary Kondo. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're Thank very welcome. You, yeah,
1: no problem. I also teaching uh, yoga class. Ah. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, um, I am my own guru. Like, I don't t- training. I just, mm. um, it's already inside my head. Wow! So I just yeah, I just do whatever.
0: Sumiko, are you excited to meet June's family one day?
1: Oh my god! So embarrassed. Why? Oh my god! Why? Because uh they they think uh, they I'm not sure what they think about me. Um, one day I will come and I will say hello. I'm Sumiko. But for now, I I. <laughs> just be on stage and we'll say hello to our audience member mm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: so someday down the line there's gonna, there might be a meeting
1: yeah maybe Sumiko
0: maybe. meets the family could be oh
1: my god like a reality tv show yeah people people would love that okay I try maybe.
0: okay <laughs> thanks Sumiko
1: okay bye-bye. Bye, bye <laughs> bye all right well that was her
0: beautiful that's awesome and I think I think that would be an amazing uh, um little performance one day
1: oh my goodness oh my goodness who knew that she would come on this uh platform
0: yeah thanks so much for for making her available for the interview
1: oh yeah absolutely she's happy to be center stage
0: oh good yes 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 I can imagine (laughs) I'm starstruck a little bit
1: Oh, she's starstruck by meeting you. <laughs>
0: well, thank you. Well, we'll we'll stay starstruck together, I guess. I <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about su- some work outside of Sumiko because you do you do so much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. How did <laughs> I end up here? How did you um, end up yeah. here? <laughs> so I am the artistic director of Popcorn Galaxies uh, with Keely O'Brien and myself, and we've been. Uh, Creating work together since 2013. Um, We're an experimental contemporary theater company uh, working in site responsive, site specific, uh, and micro theater. A lot of our performances are uh, low capacity, high impact. So we've created shows that are audio walks, that are puppet shows for one person at a time. Uh, We once had a show where there were seven cast members and it was for one audience member at a time uh, <laughs> called Hold On Tightly. And then the other company uh, that I'm a part of it's called New to Town Collective. And we're a collective of artists who are interested in embodied theater practices and sharing what we know uh, with our community. So we have what's called training jams and they are collaborative, interdisciplinary, accessible, theatre and physical training workshops that we offer to anyone who is interested. You don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be a performer. You don't have to be trained. Uh, you just have to be curious about the work. And mm. we are in our fifth year together. Wow. Wow, mm. so
0: lovely. Uh, and you've, you've also been able to train and work uh, with Theatre Replacement and Michael and James.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was their intern a couple of years ago. So I worked with Theatre Replacement and they've been a huge influence in my life and an amazing mentor for myself and so many other young uh, artists in Vancouver.
0: I mean, I'm going to just keep going a little rapid fire here, but you're also the assistant dramaturg at the Banff Playwright Lab?
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah, Banff Center has invited me um, to be part of their Playwrights Lab with Jenna Rogers. Jenna Rogers, we love her. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous team. Um, Yeah, I've been up there a couple of times. Um, I'm also working for Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre as their producer for an emerging uh, playwright series called MSG Lab. So that's happening this fall and winter.
0: Very cool. Holy smokes. I, I absolutely adore the, the practice of dramaturgy. Uh, and I'm really uh, an advocate, a vocal advocate for dance dramaturgy. I love the idea of looking at, at a performance ecology and, and really being reflexive of what it needs and what it's calling for. Can you speak a bit about your experience as in, in dramaturgy?
1: Yeah, I came across dramaturgy uh, again at SFU. Um, I took a class with GD Kugler. One of the greatest things that he said was as a dramaturg, you get to not know. You get to be the most ignorant person in the room. And that's your job to ask questions, to be curious about your whatever that is that you're seeing or you're a part of. And to me, that's amazing to be able to ask questions because you're curious and then offer your perspective like you are there's no other person that can offer that but you so mm. your unique perspective is what you bring to the project
0: that the way you've just said it gives quite a bit of a, you're empowered to to live in yourself live in your own lived experiences in bringing that forward artistically
1: again it's kind of like clown it's like the relationship between you as dramaturg and the project or the person you're working with, it's the energy in between that services and furthers the development of the project. Mm. As a dramaturg, I think you're in this very special position of inviting curiosity constantly. It's it's your job to keep the fire burning <laughs> underneath the project.
0: It, it just offers so much to the process of having yeah. that, having that cheerleader that is ready to poke holes or ask if there's a hole
1: oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) definitely
0: if we may zoom out a little bit to look at all the different stars in the sky we've got sumiko we've got uh the dramaturge uh the new to town collective the popcorn galaxies we've got the the farm eel dancer we've got (laughs) as you look at all these stars and points in the sky what do you hope people see in your artistic constellation?
1: Um, I mostly do all of this for myself, you know, like I, <laughs> I'm very selfish. These are all just, <laughs> interests. it just pull me towards these different avenues. And I love to share my experiences, in my art with audience members. And that's a really important part of the process. But for me, um, you know, the reason why I do all these things is because they're constantly, nourishing my creative impulse.
0: They, they spark joy?
1: They spark joy. <laughs> That's right, they spark joy. You got it. You got it, you got it Marie. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things I'm like constantly excited by. It's a bottomless pit of things that I can learn. And I guess when I'm in these different rooms, I'm very aware of my own sort of beginner's mind or like trying to consistently be a beginner so that I can continue to listen and learn. And I've had all these opportunities where people have, you know, kind of opened these gateways. And I'm so grateful for all of that because, yeah, I couldn't have done it with all the, without all the support from my community.
0: Mm. That's lovely. What a lovely constellation. Can you speak a bit about um, what this, your words, not mine, the, the selfish <laughs> desires, how that has brought you into find your artistic community and aligned with the Japanese Canadian community.
1: So it sort of pairs with my own understanding of Sumiko. And as soon as I opened her up to the world and started to realize that, oh, you know, I don't have to be trapped by my own stereotype. I don't have to be Um, self-censored or, you know, keep this at bay. I know my message is to promote positive views of Japanese Canadians, to transform, to transcend, to, you know, explode the stereotype out so much so that it questions, you question what it is that you're seeing. And that's my point with Sumiko as an artist inside of her. Um, but as soon as I started to realize all these things and my message and I was like, oh, I really want to gather, you know, all the Japanese Canadians that I know. And so I started to curate these um, Nikkei artist mixers, mm. which are small gatherings of uh, Japanese Canadians. Uh, who are artists, who are cultural connectors, everyone in between, or Japanese-Canadian appreciators of uh, art and culture. Whoever wants to join, essentially, it's just like a gathering place for people to come together. And I've been um, hosting these events for the last few years. And you know, steadily, the group has grown, and I've had an intergenerational mix of people from all across Vancouver coming together, meeting each other for the first time often. And so in a way clown and investigating myself has opened up doors to bring my community together and now I have like a beautiful following of Japanese Canadians who really appreciate Sumiko and are there for my work and you know and and in turn I get to promote other Japanese Canadians and their work through these mixers so mm. I found a nice cyclical relationship and a reciprocal relationship
0: mm. can, can... Not to bring us down too much, but could you speak, as you spoke about Sumiko has helped release you from being trapped in stereotype. Can you speak about what it felt before Sumiko? The idea of being trapped in that stereotype?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look Japanese. I have always been sort of the token Japanese friend. Um, I've often been told You know, oh, you're my first Japanese friend or, hey, speak this uh, Japanese sentence to me or, hey, you watch anime, right? Or, you know, all these things um, that people assume about me. I was so frustrated by that for so long. And so I really pushed those things away and pretended I didn't know anything about manga, even though I love it. Or, (laughs) you know, told people, I don't speak Japanese. What are you talking about? I don't associate with Japanese people. I had Mm. so many negative assumptions about myself or just self perpetuating negative beliefs about who I was or how I represented in my community. And it was tough. It was tough growing up. Mm. Yeah. And, And Sumiko also plays with like a lot of sexuality in her kind of world and you know, as a woman constantly being objectified and constantly being like either you're sort of a crazy dominatrix or really um, sort of submissive, you know, kind of sex toy almost. Those are some stereotypical Japanese um, images for women in media. And I really wanted to take that image and Blow it up so big and play into that stereotype in order for that stereotype to transform. Mm-hmm. It's almost playing into the buffon, which is you know kind of the darker, more uh, visceral, the ailments of society. Like I wanted Sumiko to be a reflection or a mirror of all of the negative experiences I've had and infuse it with joy, delight, humor, (laughs) bubbly, friendly, cute, and to juxtapose those things on stage Mm. in order to make her more complex, more well-rounded and interesting, inviting being.
0: I think it's such a beautiful thing you've done through this artistic practice to know yourself, to be in on the biggest joke. You speak about these these the defense mechanisms of hiding away things that you love, things that are important to you. What would you say to someone else who right now is hiding away what they love because of these negative stereotypes? Someone who is still trapped in the stereotype.
1: I would say that there are so many others like you. I have come to understand that there's a whole community of people who have had the exact same experience as me. And part of the draw for Sumiko for a lot of these uh, younger Japanese Canadian women are like, I've been that. I've seen that. I've felt that. There is authenticity in what you're doing that is reflecting my own lived experience i think a lot of japanese women have had experiences where they're like all you have to do is cook clean take care of kids a sort of traditional idea of what uh, womanhood is and to see that reflected on stage i hope gives people permission to see themselves and to go oh that." Is something I want to fight against, or that's really messed up. I don't want to, you know, give them an answer, but just an opportunity to just shine a mirror up against what I have experienced in my own body in hopes to connect with others. So, yeah, I I would say you should invest in your own curiosity, present (laughs) what you got, because that's perfect. And there's others out there just like you.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. What would you say to to me if I was the good-natured person who was accidentally putting you into those defense mechanisms? Uh, what would you say to me when I assume that you like manga, when I assume you'll be as delighted as I am for you to translate something for me?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a really pivotal moment right now in society where, you know, hopefully we're all looking at ourselves, looking inward and going, how do I fit into the mosaic of our society? What are my privileges? And how am I oppressed by the system? How am I a perpetrator and a victim? And hopefully these conversations are already in the ethos and the psyche of our community, But to me, what I've realized is often when people ask me those things, I try to remember that there is a whole system behind that question, right? Like they're asking this because there is a big system of capitalism, of white supremacy, of policies and social structures that contribute to that one question. So yes, it's frustrating. And yes, I want to speak up, but I also want to remember the humanity inside of the person asking that question Hmm. and to not jump immediately to a conclusion, like my assumption about their ignorance, right? Like I don't want to be that person either. So how do we attempt to bridge these gaps uh, with empathy? And again, it's this clown energy that plays so deeply into communication. It's like, how can i continue to stay connected to you as a person whilst also um advocating for myself how can i with compassion empathy and firmness yeah i think it's a tricky balance but i think we're getting there
0: wow that was a beautiful empathetic magic filled answer (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. June Fukamura, you have developed this beautiful constellation. Time for some advice. Advice from June. Ah. ah. Uh. <laughs> All right. First off, I want to ask June now, this version of June, what is a piece of advice you would give the eel farming? young clown who spent summers in Japan, what would you offer that June as a piece of advice?
1: I would say, do what makes you come alive. Do what makes you come alive and pursue that.
2: Hmm.
1: I have, I love this quote that um, it's a Howard Thurman quote, but it says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it because the world needs people who have come alive. And that is, if there's like one bumper sticker I could stick on my car, <laughs> that would be it.
0: Here's my last one, perhaps. Um, when you look ahead into the future, what is a piece of advice for you in your in the latter stages of your career Many, many years in the future. What is something you in this moment would like to remind yourself in the future?
1: I would say pay it forward. Pay it forward. Keep paying it forward. You have had so many opportunities given to you by all these amazing mentors. I have lucked out seriously in my life with incredible people who have boosted me it's been pretty magical. So I hope to continue to pay it forward because that's how we that's how we make this thing work, right? It's like I have gotten so much. I'd like to share that with you. Hmm. I hope you can do the same for other generations down the road, so we can continue to prosper from each other.
0: I mean, it's so lovely to hear this. And, and I mean, you've so clearly found what makes you alive. And I feel that when, when people notice that, we're excited to see, to see where that fire can bring us, to see where those stars can lead us and where they've aligned to. So thank you, June Fukumura, for your thoughts, your ideas.
1: Yeah, thank you. Likewise, this is an awesome opportunity. Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> it's been, thank you for the conversation. It really has been. Uh, it not only sounds beautiful and inspiring and unique, but it sounds Japanese Canadian to me. That's our episode for today. A huge thank you to June Fukumura, and a thank you to you. Dear friends and listeners, please feel free to rate and subscribe or to share the podcast with a friend who might enjoy it. A big shout-out to the Nikkei National Museum and Cultural Centre for helping to produce and share this podcast. Once again, my name is Kunji Ikeda, and I hope to see you next time on Sounds Japanese Canadian to Me, Stories from the Stage.